Friday the 6th of October. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines. More records fall as the hottest September ever is recorded. UK government backtracking on climate commitments. And the Irish Fiscal Council estimates the cost of climate action, but no benefits. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and we are here for the second episode of our fifth season and I'm delighted to be joined, as always, by Anna Pringle and Kira Daly. How are you both doing? Uh, I'm sick. Sick of climate change. <laughs> We're settling into October, Dara, and looking back at September fondly. That's very poetic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And we're back. We're we had a kind of early episode or a late episode for our first episode. But from here to the end of our season, which is going to be the middle of December, we're going to be around with episodes every two weeks. So um, we're back to our Friday slot um, and episodes every. Except fortnight. when we're not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Just And we're going to have some special guests too, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, which we'll be telling you more about maybe in our next episode where we maybe have a special guest joining us. Ooh, stay tuned. But only if you support our Buy Me A Coffee. Otherwise, we're not telling you. (laughs) Can't be bribing people like that. And you'll have to guess who the podcast guest is. We have more integrity than that, Kira. I don't. And and speaking of (laughs) Buy Me A Coffee, we had a couple of nice comments on there after our last episode. So John says, thanks for bringing attention to climate. And Christine said, it's great to have a regular space which affirms what a crisis we're in (laughs) and helps to reduce the feeling of isolation and madness. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for both of those comments. And yeah, I really feel it it helps me when I hop on the Zoom and record the podcast with you to to help reduce the feeling of madness a little bit. (laughs) You are welcome, my friend. So if you would like to leave a nice comment for us, it's buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that sort of feeling of madness leads quite nicely into our uh, first climate story because a climate scientist in response to the record temperatures set in September of this year called it gobsmackingly bananas. So it's not That's just very scientific the, language. Not ju- yeah, it's not just the people that are going mad. It's the climate's going mad as well. Um, so I suppose it's not a new story for us to talk about a record breaking month of temperatures. But what's unusual... It seems to be every month these days though, doesn't it? Yeah, and what's unusual with this September is that it didn't just beat the previous record. Um, it absolutely smashed it. So this record, September, was half a degree warmer than the previous record. Um, And the entire month of September was 1.8 degrees Celsius warmer than pre-industrial levels. So obviously the Paris Agreement target that we're aiming for is 1.5 degrees. And this month was well above that target and above that threshold and so this is kind of as a result of human caused climate change but then also something that we mentioned a few months ago on the podcast the fact that the planet is now experiencing el nino um 
so we had the cooling effect of La Nina for the last three years where the ocean stored more heat, but now that has flipped and we're going to see a very, very hot year at least ahead of us while we're experiencing El Nino and that's part of the reason why we've had such a crazy hot September. So El Nino, that's, it takes place in the ocean, right? It's where the water is warming up and then that's affecting the climate. Is that that right? Yeah, so there's La Nina, uh, which is mm-hmm. where the, it's the Pacific Ocean and that's a phenomenon where the ocean basically uh, stores more heat. So so it absorbs more heat. So that has a cooling effect. But then El Nino is where basically the ocean starts uh, releasing more heat or not okay. absorbing as much. And that leads the atmosphere to being warmer. So it generally leads to a couple of tenths of a degree extra warming when we're experiencing yeah. El Nino. And that's what's playing out at the moment. Yeah. And then how you kind of see that manifest is like through like what we saw over the last few months. It's like, like here in Ireland, it was raining constantly. And then over in Europe, it was like extremely hot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're only really, we're only really seeing apparently the start of the El Nino impacts in the last month, in the last month or two. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is quite scary. Yeah. Well, the hottest year on record was 2016, which was an El Nino year. And I, 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 it looks pretty safe to say that 2023 is going to, going to surpass that. Wow. Um, yeah, and one of the, one of the big notice, noticeable um, things about the September record was that they're described as the most anomalous global temperatures ever recorded. So what that means is that it's yes, it's a it's a record, but it's also the highest daily temperature anomalies. So the um, it's the biggest departure from the norm that's ever been observed on a oh. daily basis in September. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So and it is. El Nino won't peak until later this year. Yeah. Exactly. So it is. I think when you take a step back from it, obviously it's absolutely crazy and like nothing that we've ever seen and then if you think about it a bit more and how it's 1.8 degrees above average for a month <coughs> this is just going to be an average September uh, by the standards of the rest of our lives um, wow. you know because you know because if the climate's at 1.5 degrees on average and it's going to be there and go well beyond it then 1.8 degrees is nothing you know uh, some yeah. months will be a bit over 1.5. Some months will be a bit under 1.5. Um, so yeah, that is the other that is the other sort of angle on it. Um, and the and the temperature anomalies then bring weather anomalies. So we mm-hmm. saw um, in Spain and this incredible hailstorm in Spain destroyed in the area of Valencia, destroyed about 43 million worth of crops. Um, wow. Yeah, like some like some farmers' harvests were just totally wiped out because the size of the hailstones were so big that it just destroyed the crops in the fields that were just about to be harvested. So we're going to see more of that kind of um, weather anomaly also affecting how we live as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think yeah, I think the the thing about it is the is the sort of rapid change, you know, the rapid shift in in temperature that it's not this incremental thing that we've just seen this huge leap that's kind of taken everyone by surprise 
Um, and we have to kind of hope that it's just, you know, uh, mainly El Nino and that we'll see a cooler year, a, a slightly cooler year again. When you um, say it's taken people by surprise, like obviously you don't mean like we didn't expect the temperatures to rise. You're saying like that when scientists were warning that the temperatures were going to rise, they were also they were actually being conservative in their warning. Is that what you mean? I, I think every, I think lots you've seen lots of climate scientists absolutely taken by taken off guard by this by how rapid the change has been um like if you see the charts of of temperature month by month like September of this year is just way way out there way way mm. off the charts um and so that's what's taken people by surprise is how how rapid um how rapid the change has, how just totally, yeah, unprecedented this month has been. Have and we had also, any... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Kira. Have we had any responses from our leaders about this? No, I think it got, you know, I think it got what very... Leaders? <laughs> um, I think it got... Yes, we're here talking about it, Kira. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, a huge rise in, in temperatures in September and a huge rise in Anna's ego as well, it seems. <laughs> no, um, please take that out. I <laughs> know, <laughs> ah, that's good. That's good. Leave it in. Um, but, uh, sorry, what was I saying? Yeah, I mean, there's been very little very little coverage of it, I think. Um, and where there is coverage, you know, it's not talking about how significant it is or how, how alarming it is. Um, yeah. And I suppose then just to look briefly at October um, that extreme heat carried on in Spain so there, there were record new October temperatures set for mainland Spain um, of 38.2 degrees in Spain in October and if you're listening to this either on the Friday or the Saturday we put it out we're it's due to be up to 24 degrees in Dublin this Saturday Um yeah, a grand summer's day in the middle of autumn. I know, and like people keep going, oh, we've got good weather at the weekend. I go, oh, I wish I could agree with that. Mm. Do you know what, Anna? I actually feel so much lately, like I am really affected by the weather and the summer has been so bad. And I keep going, oh, well, if we're, like that that line of like, well, if we're going to get bad effects, we might as well be able to enjoy them. I, and then that is making me feel even worse about myself because I'm like, that's like a really bad thing to say. Because No, I don't, like, I, I, I don't <laughs> think it is. I don't think it is a bad thing to say because what else can you do? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the way it is and it's going to be bad and there's going to be loads of things that you cannot enjoy because of it and there are going to be loads of, you know, storms and things like that. So yeah, if you do get a hot day in October I say try and try and forget what that means and just enjoy that day um, yeah. because that's you know that's what's lying ahead of us that's the way it's going to be so we might as well try, try, it's hard, try to enjoy like it the, the, the lockdown of climate change yeah 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 exactly yeah the way loads of people <laughs> like when like, is oh, this, this going to end but also yeah let's yeah yeah but let's enjoy it you know, and let's look on the yeah. bright side. At least it means we won't be burning fossil fuels to stay warm. Oh, there we <laughs> on go. Saturday. There you go. Uh, now, except my now. mother, who, if she's listening, never turns the heat off. <laughs> but then she feels the cold, so that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well. So yes. Yeah. We'll all be out sunbathing on Saturday and uh, feeling happy for the day. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Um, so Kira, you were asking about leaders earlier and we're seeing some 
unbelievable leadership or lack thereof in the UK at the moment, Anna. Oh yeah, I was going. I was given out to for swearing on last week's episode, so I have to really be careful now when I start talking about the Tories. Also, not given out to by us, just just to be fair. No, we're, not we're by not, you. But we're by not censoring you, Anna. Certain <laughs> listeners who might be related to me. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah. So just watching what's going on, what's unfolding in the UK this week with the uh, Tory conference, which is possibly the most surreal set of speeches I have ever seen. I mean, George Orwell could not have written them. Um, but apart from that, the decisions that they're making, they have decided to... I mean, if you step back from it, even under the Tories, the UK has been a leader, actually, in climate change, in fighting climate change, and has had some really good policies in place, even under Boris Johnson. Um, but now Rishi Sunak has decided that they're going to just row back on it because they think it will make them more popular with the electorate. They have given the go-ahead to the Rosebank oil field um, off the coast of Shetland, which is the UK's largest untapped oil field, contains about 300 million barrels of oil. So they've decided to um, allow that to be developed, which is, uh, as we know, uh, just unmitigated disaster um, and not even necessary for their secu energy security or anything. It's just pure greed. And then in one of the more bizarre twists, Rishi Sunak has declared that he's ended the war on drivers. Were what? you guys aware of the war on drivers? <laughs> no. And he's come up with a lovely little um, pun for that saying, I'm slamming the brakes on the war on motorists. It's as simple as that. So he's attacking harebrained schemes, his words and the son's words, like low traffic neighbourhoods and 20 mile per hour zones. He says these have been forced on Britain's cash strapped drivers. Yeah, no, it's just it's just unbelievable. Like there's people talking about the 15 minute city as well. And, and that, you know, because there is a whole conspiracy yeah. theory um around the 15, 15 minutes minute are trying to aggressively restrict drivers yeah so the idea with but not only that the idea with 15 minute cities is that all your basic needs are accessible within a 15 minute walk Br yeah. brilliant amazing like who's not yeah. on for that and then these sort of conspiracy theorists said oh they're trying to control us they're trying to lock us into it 15 minutes of where we live and now the tories are like talking about the 15 city minute city like we're not going to f we're we're going to we're going to rally against uh, local authorities trying to be in this fifteen-minute city thing, and really just playing up to, playing up to the conspiracy theorist thing. And it's just like, obviously, from the climate perspective, it's so so dangerous. But even things like that twenty-mile-per-hour zone, getting rid of that—that that is one of the most. Uh, there's so much evidence on how many lives that saves. Yeah, um, the pedestrians having, don't. Yeah, having twenty yeah. miles per hour rather than rather than thirty, like it's it's massive, um, yeah. and that's just literally like saying, "Oh yeah, we're ending the war on drivers." Probably will kill a few more pedestrians. Like there's a good there's a good amount of scientific evidence to back that up. But you know, um, and then the stuff they're coming out with about trans people. Um, yeah, and trans rights. It's just like it's it's yeah, as you said, it's it's they like are embracing just, all of the far right populist yeah. tropes and 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 they don't care. I mean, they and and there was even one of them made a speech this week claiming that Labour are the elitists, the Labour Party are the elitists, and the Tories are standing up for the for the little people. 
My goodness. And you're kind of like, okay, sorry, we've been watching you in power for the last, what, 11 years? We know that's not true. So I think, I actually think it will backfire on them, but um, but it's just an, an example of how you can just take reality and distort it yeah, and yeah. shamelessly yeah, lie. For um, sure. Um, and, and it's not even, it's just, and it's backwards leadership. So it's, and, and I know we've had this conversation here before, but this is all about the election. It's because there was some, because they almost, Labour almost won a seat off them in London but there was controversy about the low emission zone. So they're, re- they're thinking that this is the way we are going to win the election. So it's all about the elections coming up. And I know we've talked about this here, but this is what we need to watch out for here. Will some of our populist parties embrace similar themes coming up to the election? And how do we, mm. how do we work through that? Yeah, yeah. And just, yeah, I suppose just before we move on from from that, like, you know, I think it's pretty much debunked as a climate myth now. You know, people would say, oh, you know, governments aren't going to take action until it's right in front of our faces and until it's really clear. I think I think it's really clear that's not the case. Governments They're just, still not going to just take aren't action. going to take action. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. That, you know, it's so obvious now. Um, the summer we've seen, the extreme weather, um, and it's just actually you know, seeing the Tories doubling down on oil and gas exploration. Going backwards. D- doubling down on climate denial. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I think, as you say, Anna, that's something we also need to watch out for here. We do, especially when people start, I mean, because you've got the carbon tax coming up now and some debate about should that be, should that be increased or not? You've got, you saw here, Dublin City Council this week. Um, the councillors voted against restoring the local property tax, which has a direct impact on council services. Um, and, and there are reasons, you know, I'm not going to get into the debate about it because there is a genuine debate about it, but vote, I mean, property tax, when most people can't afford properties anymore, um, and it would have cost something like a tenner a month for people, or, a ten, you know, it was very, it was very little anyway, but, um, but we're going to see more of that here and we need to be able to sort through what actually makes sense and there are going to be some tough decisions that will have to be made. Yeah. Actually, one of the things, just touching on that talk, I can't remember what that guy's name was that was going on about the 15-minute city. Do you know yeah. what his name was? Either of you? Where? The politician. No. He was, that was saying that they were a bad thing. Oh. Anyway, just watching him, Um, I was just watching Was him, it Rishi the, Sunak? No, no, no. no, no. It was it was someone interviewed on Sky. Oh, okay. I should know, but I don't. So apologies, everybody. Um, but he just kept saying, you know, they were having the argument about, the, the, about whether or not the 15-minute city was a good thing. And to me, obviously, I just don't see any disadvantage to it. And you're looking at this guy saying, like, how is he barefaced lying going out and just saying, like, the, trying to turn this into, you know, they're trying to trap you in your 15-minute city and all of that kind of thing. And looking at it, and it's really disheartening. And you're like... He just kept spouting the same line over and over in refrain to the other guy who was having like a logical argument. And that thing of like, what do you do when you come up and you see that? And you're not even the person in the discussion, but you're watching on people just spout lies and you kind of are aware that, you know, inevitably some people are soaking up that information and taking it as truth and they're going to go on and have that discussion. How do you actually like stop yourself from disengaging in intelligent conversation around that you know because I think there's parts maybe not everybody's going to soak up that story the way that 
was he an MP was giving it out but people are going to take certain bits of facts people that yeah. are like you know in your life and you know to be an intelligent person but because that just gets repeated 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 you know that kind of that non um, truth gets soaked up by the public and eventually you're going to hear somebody you know give out an element of that information and then you're suddenly like oh my god you're an idiot because you're looking at them <laughs> thinking that they're saying what that other person you know you're taking yep. it that they've taken the whole truth from that person and it's that whole how do you stop I don't have an answer but it's a, how do you stop from disengaging in that conversation because it's really like when I watched that I was like oh my god they've literally taken something that is so like such a beautiful idea for a community and turned it into something terrible. It's like, how do you not throw your hands up and just walk away from the whole thing altogether? And, and the challenge is that something like the 15 minute city, it becomes a catchphrase. And what the extreme right are very good at doing is taking catchphrases like that and simplifying them. And so all of a sudden, like, you know, people who haven't thought about it before, they hear this 15 minute city and they associate it with it's you're trapped within 15 minutes of your house. And they're using the COVID quarantine metaphor to, you know, to make that sound like a bad thing. And I think one of the challenges is people on the left tend to go or people who are you know, pro climate change, pro climate action, they tend to be, oh no, it's more complicated than that. And then you lose the audience, whereas yeah. they're just taking slogans and twisting them. So I think, Kira, I think the only thing you can do is if is wherever you can try to say, well, no, that's not actually what it means, or it's more complicated yeah. than that. Um and 15 minute cities are a good thing. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, acknowledging that it sometimes is like, oh for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. That's my summary of the climate crisis. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad summary. You heard, heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. So what's our third story? So yeah, the last story we're looking at is a report that came out from the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council looking at the potential cost to public finances associated with different aspects of climate change. So this is a report looking at a range of ways that um, government revenue is basically potentially government revenue and expenditure is potentially going to be affected by climate change. And I think myself and Anna both saw this separately, and I think we probably had uh, similar reactions to it. So they're talking about things like if emission targets are met, then tax revenues will be reduced because of taxes on emission heavy activities like uh, driving cars, um, things like that. They also said the government will have to spend a lot of money on supports uh, for the green transition and to meet its target. And then it also mentioned things like um, that there are non-compliance costs so that if Ireland doesn't meet its climate targets that there will be fines every year. Um and then it also just kind of at the end mentions that, oh, you know, extreme weather events are be are becoming more frequent and and that will probably cost a bit of money as well. Um, so basically what they were saying was the government needs to acknowledge this and start planning for it now um, because it knows these changes are coming, which I agree with. Um but there are quite a lot of things or an, or I think it's in general, it's possibly approach I don't overly agree with. Anna, what are your 
thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I was listening to this during the week and looking at the report and I had similar reactions to you. Um, I mean, I think the Advisory Council is a budgetary watchdog and they are looking, they were looking at basically what are the costs going to be. So they weren't sort of, I think in a way, a narrow enough remit. And they were looking at the tax costs in particular um, and how taxes will fall because people won't be paying as much road tax or car tax, etc. Um, and, and because they won't be paying as much duty on oil and gas and so on. So that's, so that's fine. And that's one aspect. But they didn't look at the cost of not taking action or the benefits from taking action. Now, they did have a Twitter thread, as you mentioned, Dara, that kind of went through it. But, you know, number seven of eight tweets does say the costs will be large, but there will be benefits. And to name a few, greater energy security, better air quality, (laughs) health benefits. I mean, those are pretty major benefits. The health benefits alone, I mean, we've seen Irish doctors for the environment have been talking about this. The health cost today of our air quality is massive. So the health benefits alone would be very valuable to to the public and to the economy and to society. Um, so I really think it's a, it's a one-sided way of looking at it. It's all about cost without looking at benefit. And, and even to say that... Um, even to say that like we need to spend a lot of money to get people to do the green transition, like on retrofitting and so on, that's true. But that should be seen as a, an investment rather than a, a spend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like yeah. I like what you said there, Anna, about you know, they have quite a narrow remit and you know, they're essentially doing they're doing what they're supposed to do. Um but yeah, I think as you said, the cost of not taking action um and maybe in the medium and even longer term than they were forecasting is huge as you say the financial benefits of taking action particularly the health benefits lots of other lots of other things like that but then also like as i was looking through the report i just feel that obviously they have their remit but like with everything it needs to be grounded in the climate science, you know, it needs to be grounded in that kind of reality. That's you. Oh, I'm just allergic to the IFAC's bullshit. <laughs> um, no, so, yeah, it needs to be grounded in that reality. And some of the stuff that they had said about extreme weather events, they said, given the unpredictable nature of extreme weather events, quantifying the risks to revenue from physical risks is extremely uncertain. Um, and I've seen people write before about how, you know, when you're looking at risk, if you look at risk from an insurance perspective, you look at what are the worst case scenarios and you sort of build back from there. And that has never happened with climate change. Um, but it's yeah, in insurance, like, oh, you, look, you, you, look at, you look at two elements and you look at the likelihood and the impact if it happened. So if it's low likelihood, but incredibly high impact, you still have to plan for it, you know. Yeah, and, and exactly. Versa, you know, exactly. So. But uh, yeah, yeah. But I think I think the thing with with climate change is that if the really bad extreme weather events don't happen in the next ten years, they will happen in the next twenty or the next thirty. Like it's very, very unlikely that we get away with it um, forever. You know? No, um, we've been very lucky so far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they've they said stuff like. Um, 
there could be additional costs arising from the state having to provide supports to respond to more frequent and more adverse extreme weather events. I think, you know, that could is very generous. There will there will be. Um, and then they say when these events occur, the costs associated with them could be in the region of half a billion per event. But they don't have any sort of forecast or projections on how many of these events are going to be. <laughs> and then yeah. it says limiting these risks could require further adaptation costs beyond the hundred million per annum allocated for flood defenses in the national development plan. It's like yeah, no it, kidding. It, yeah. Um so it, like relocating for, most of Cork City will probably be expensive, I reckon. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. When we look at houses and places that are going to be below the flood line, that kind of thing, it's yeah, for me, it just seems like I get that they have a narrow remit focusing on the financial aspect, but they are not taking in enough of the climate science to actually base their to base their um, their findings on would be yep. the way Can I, ask, I would is see there it. Like, was there a conclusion that they came to in this report? Yes. Like, am I right in understanding that their conclusion is that we should steer away from climate adaptation no. spending. No, no, no. No, no, no their conclusion, and they were very clear about this when they were being interviewed during the week, their conclusion was plan, plan, plan. The government needs okay. to be planning for this. Um, I think the risk, though, coming back to what we were just saying about what's happening in the UK, I think the risk is that this could give certain parties an opportunity to say it's going to be too expensive we can't Let's afford to do this. repeat the line and just keep repeating that line and stop the argument or stop the discussion yeah. happening. Yeah, we can't afford to do this. That's that's the risk and it is a big cost. There's no doubt about that but it's just the cost of not doing it is so much greater. Yeah, and and like I think that's maybe the thing that, that annoys me so much is, is like seeing September, you know, and seeing how hot September is. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it's posing, like, you hear that phrase, like, the climate change poses an existential threat to humanity and society. And you're saying, yeah, it's it's an existential threat. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not yeah, hyperbole. Like, that's, that's, that's not That's not exaggeration. That's that's, you know, and then it's saying, and then it's saying, it's going to cost a bit of money. And, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, it, it's, it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing that we're, like, why money should not be anywhere near the top of the uh, considerations when we're taking mm -hmm. this action. Um, yeah, no. it, it's very it's very incongruent to me. But you know, I mean, so we're going to lose two and a half billion in today's money by 2030 per year. Uh, remind me again how much the oil companies are making? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, two and a half billion is probably a month's revenue for Shell. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In terms of public awareness, I mean, this report, obviously, it's not reporting accurately and all of those things. But like... Oh, no, it is people, accurate. It's just, no, 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 no. But I mean, limited. it's not looking at through the whole, like, it's not taking the holistic approach. It should be looking at yeah. kind of the, the, the societal uh, effects. But in terms of the everyday man out there like me... Like does that does this really does this report really make a difference? Like I didn't be, hear about it until no. you guys sent it to me. And and the other thing is, Kira, like it does it make a difference to the government? Probably not. Yeah. Will they yeah. do like will they do much with it? Probably not. I think it's just down there, you know, it's good. It's really good that the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council came out and said the government needs to start planning for this now. That's hopefully yeah. something that yep. that campaigners, that that opposition TDs can use to say, listen, this isn't just like some hippies saying 
you know, whatever <laughs> we want to protect this. It's like, oh, there's actual economists who um, who were saying it as well. Yeah. The poor old hippies. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed a lot of people are always like, I'm not a hippie. Like, who cares? <laughs> I'm with you, hippies. <laughs> That's what I want to conclude about this story. <laughs> Um, and then before we go, any other stories that we didn't get a chance to cover? Um, well, you know, Kira was asking about leadership earlier and we've, we're seeing some this week from an unusual quarter. Well, actually, it's not that unusual, but we may be a bit uh, wary of it. But uh, the Pope has come out very strongly again and is urging the rich world to make profound changes to tackle the climate crisis. Maybe we should have him talk to the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. Um, <laughs> but the Pope actually has been quite a leader on this um, and has made some very strong statements about it. And so it's good to see, I think he still has some credibility somewhere. Um, so I think it's good to see that he is coming out and being very strong about it and also really positioning it in a climate justice Yeah point of view yeah 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 i'd love to actually um interview him i'd, I'd love to interview <laughs> him I'd we should get him and danny healy ray on in the same yeah. episode and danny healy ray would be talking about how only god controls the weather and then he could throw that over to the pope yeah. and then see what the pope would say <laughs> but the pope it's a papal exhortation was published and he's ex but he's also really saying for to governments coming up to COP28 that this should be a turning point, get on with it. And he defended climate protesters, which is good to see as well, because they need defending these days because mm. they've been locked up all over the place. Yeah. Good job, Pope. Yeah. yeah. And then the other bit of um, great climate leadership this week, I thought, was uh, Dr. Gianluca Grimalda, yeah. um, who works for the Kiel Institute and has been doing some climate research in the Solomon Islands and is was there for six months and was planning to slow travel for two months back to Germany. The Kiel Institute for World Economy, who he works with, told him if he wasn't told him this week if he wasn't back at his desk on Monday, he would no longer have a job to return to. So essentially telling them he had to fly home. Um and very, he, very enlightened of them. And he objected on ethical grounds, saying that he can't justify flying. He will save a couple of a tons of emissions by not flying. Um, and yeah, and so it looks at the moment. Uh, and the Keel Institute is facing a lot of backlash on this. So a lot of leading academics have weighed in to support him and. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, I just, you know, I thought fair play to him. Like he, he, he had a tweet up um, the other day that said, many people say it's crazy to lose my job, not to take a plane. But I say it's crazy to go on with business as usual, as if this planet was unbounded. So, I think what I really liked about that story, like, you know, because if you're thinking about, I, I, to, I'll admit to a degree, I actually thought, oh, Jesus, would he just get on the plane? But then actually I read what he was like, all of the, he was there for months. And like, he talks about how he had to go and meet with tribes there two or three times. Like he was trying to learn from the people in the region about, you know, how climate change was affecting them. And he really had to work hard to gain their trust. And like he had been kidnapped and there was, it's not like he was just over there sitting in an office. He was like, really? So you can understand why he would be so... I suppose steadfast in his yeah. in his decision, and when yeah. you, I think 
that's important to mention because there definitely will be people like me who'll be like, I'll just get on the plane and keep your job. And like, I assume that he had a plan for coming back and that he was supposed to be back at a certain time. And also, could he not work remotely while he's traveling? I mean, I don't get why he has to be at his desk. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the story of being a cargo ship, but either ways, yeah, I think what you say, Kira, about other people find it, it is quite confronting. You know, I think I saw um, I saw someone say on Twitter about that, that a lot of the backlash is coming from, you know, like other academics who are climate researchers and still yeah. fly and that yeah. it's really holding a mirror up to them. Um, yeah, and that that's that's where a lot of the backlash is coming from, which I think in the climate space is really really interesting. Because you know, if you are a climate scientist and you are talk, your job is essentially saying things are an emergency, but then you're continuing to fly and you're continuing to support business yeah. as usual, then that's really really confronting um, to see someone like this put their put their job and their livelihood at stake uh, for sticking to their principles. So. Um, and that's, you know, that's what's good about what he's doing is that it really forces um, people to to look at it and, um, yeah, and and think about it. Yeah, good job, John. Jean-Luc Grimalda. Yeah, thank you, Anna. It's not a very that German Dunny, name. That Donegal accent really helps you. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> cool. Um all right, is that it for this week from us? That's I it, honey. I think so. Okay. Um, so before we go, um, any any actions or events coming up that we would like to let our listeners know about? Well, I would like to plug um, the Irish Film Institute is showing the movie How to Blow Up a Pipeline. So none of you guys have seen that. So it's next Tuesday, the 10th of October at 6.30. They're going to show the movie. And then afterwards, there's going to be a panel discussion, a provocative panel discussion, really asking the question, should we be blowing up pipelines? And it's going to be chaired by myself. Woo! But Woo! with some really good guests who are going to um, tease out those questions and see, Have a, I think it should be a good good. Uh, discussion so you're gonna play devil's advocate be like no let's leave them alone we need more <laughs> i'm gonna be the pacifist i'm gonna be defending the pipelines yeah <laughs> uh very good yeah i'm ho- hoping to make it myself uh good like it's a good movie good evening. yeah i haven't seen it yet good well save it also for anyone in the kilkenny area particularly teachers on the 14th of october there is a creativity in a changing climate event um for teachers at all levels to learn ways to engage and respond to climate and biodiversity crisis in creative ways. And it is uh, being facilitated by Lisa Fingleton, who we oh, all... Oh, your favourite, Dara. Yeah, yeah. Girl. Who we all saw at the Climate Psychology Conference. It's on... Um, on the 14th of October in Kilkenny County Council exhibition space from half 10 to half 3 and you can register on creativity.ie um, we'll put that in the show notes for you, yeah, Dara. Absolutely great. Thank you. And if it's Lisa Fingleton doing it, you know it's going to be upbeat, full of energy and full yeah. of positive energy. Yeah, absolutely. I can't promise the same for how to blow up a pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I want to give a plug to Something in the Water, a community arts weekend that's happening here in County Galway, in the capital of Hedford. Um, there's lots of lots, lots and lots of great activities going on. You can find them on Facebook where they've got the full program. But one of the things I love about it is that they are um, on the main street in the local town. There's lots of empty buildings, so they're having a workshop where people come together and actually talk about their vision for the main street and what kind of beautiful community hubs we could use these buildings to create. And it's a town that's full of art and music, so it's definitely, definitely worth um, a visit if you're in the local kind of region. Head on down and give it a shout. And there's lots of gigs and everything, so go to their Facebook page, you'll find all the information there. Excellent. So they're going to turn Hedford into a 15 minute village? Yes. I mean, it actually technically already kind of is. We just need a, a brothel and a... <laughs> um, Okay, Dara, wrap it okay, up. Okay, that is it for this week. If you haven't already followed us on our socials, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at Mastodon at The Climate Alarm. And if you do want to support the work you we do, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. That's it for this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a very, very special guest, Pope Francis and Michael Healy Ray. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. integrity than that, Kira. I don't.